So we've heard how Jesus healed this crippled woman on the Sabbath, and there are many dynamics to this short uh, passage, but I think it's basically about Jesus' ability to set us free. I wonder, do we truly recognise how much authority and power Jesus has to work in our lives? Well, I hope that this evening we'll get a sense uh, that Jesus wants to set us free. He has the uh, authority to set us free, and he has the power to set us free. He wants to set us free physically from uh, illness and disease. He wants to set us free spiritually from fear, uh, from the effects of negative or traumatic stuff that's happened in our past. He wants to free us uh, from the grip of sin and death. And there are three uh, aspects of this passage that I want us to consider. And they all begin with RH. RH. So Jesus responds to our hunger. Jesus restores our health. And Jesus reveals our hypocrisy. He responds to our hunger. He restores our health. He reveals our hypocrisy. So firstly, Jesus responds to our hunger. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and visiting rabbis were often invited to give a sermon or a homily. And so this shows that the, the synagogue ruler acknowledged that Jesus had a certain amount of authority. And then we hear about this woman uh, with a spirit that had been crippled for 18 years. And I, I always imagine a little old lady, but actually this could have been uh, quite a young woman. And she's got this debilitating illness, which means she's permanently bent over. She can't straighten up. Uh, some have suggested that she was suffering with a condition called ankylosing spondylitis. It's a condition that even today uh, there's no uh, cure for, and it's uh, an extremely uh, painful uh, condition indeed. Now, I think for many people, if they suffered so terribly for 18 years, they might be on the verge of giving up on God altogether. Not so this woman. She was determined to get herself to the synagogue. She was determined to get herself to church. Uh, it might have been painful, it might have taken her a long time, but she was going to get there. What spiritual hunger, what zeal, what faithfulness. And Jesus sees this woman and he has compassion on her. Psalm 145 verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. I once travelled around China. And uh, as you probably know, most people in China don't have health care. So it's a case of uh, you're ill, tough. You're sick, too bad. You've got a disease, live with it. And as I was travelling around, uh, I saw lots of people begging in the streets with severe deformities. And you kind of uh, become accustomed to it. You kind of, uh, you know, you, 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 you get desensitised. But there was this one woman... And when I saw her, I felt really moved. I saw her and I felt deep compassion. I don't know what she was suffering with, um, but the, the flesh on her fingers and on her toes was so decayed that you could see the, the bone right down to the first joint. And when I looked at her, I was moved almost to tears. And after 11, 12 years, out of all those hundreds of beggars that I would have seen in China, she's the only one that I can actually visualise. She's the only one that I was moved enough 
that I actually remember her now. So our compassion can be patchy and sporadic to say the least. Jesus' compassion is entirely consistent. Jesus doesn't look on anyone with indifference. When Jesus saw this woman with such a spiritual hunger that she made her painful way to the synagogue, even though she may not even have been able to lift her head to see the rabbi, well, Jesus had compassion on her. Jesus responds to our hunger. So if you have a spiritual hunger today, if you want Jesus to work powerfully in your life, if, you, if, there's, if there's something that you want Jesus to set you free from, Jesus responds to our hunger. He will respond to that hunger. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus restores our health. Verses 12 and 13 say, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. Jesus had compassion on her and he healed her. He restored her physical health. Uh, but there's much more to it than this. Because if we look back at verse 11, it says, And just then there appeared a woman with, with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. We need to pay attention to this phrase, with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. Because clearly a link is being made here between the forces of evil, Satan, and this woman's physical ill health. And it shouldn't surprise us that demonic influence can affect us physically. In fact, throughout the Gospels, there are dozens of accounts of, of uh, demons inflicting actual illness. But we need to be very clear. This does not mean, it does not mean that all illness and disease is a result of demonic influence. Uh, and the Gospels actually make a, a clear distinction between three categories, if you like, three causes uh, of illness that appear in the Gospels. The, the normal uh, run-of-the-mill illness, people get ill. Uh, we live in a broken world where uh, disease and, and, and death and decay are a natural part of the world that we live in. So people get ill. Uh, then there is uh, illness uh, that's caused by demonic possession. That features uh, in the Gospels. Uh, that's where a demon has taken up residence within a person. I suspect this is quite rare, though probably not as rare as we might like to think in our cosy uh, Western society. And then there's illness that has a spiritual dynamic. This is, uh, there's a, the, the cause is both spiritual and physical, that the person uh, is not in any way possessed. And in the case of this crippled woman, it falls into the third category. This is an illness uh, with a spiritual dynamic. She wasn't possessed, but Satan had some kind of hold over her life that was affecting her physically. And Jesus is able to set us free from our physical and spiritual afflictions. He restores our physical, mental, emotional and spiritual health. This woman uh, from the passage was, was bent over but it could easily be somebody that had been brought low by drink or drugs or sexual addiction or any other self-destructive behaviour. Jesus can set us free from that sin that has hindered us for years. He can set us free from illness, from uh, disease. He can set us free from demonic uh, possession, oppression. And any of those conditions 
can be reversed suddenly, instantly. Instant healing happens today. Or they can be reversed over a longer period of time, more of a process. Or they can be transcended in the new creation. Uh, by that I mean heaven. But one way or another, if we stick with Jesus, he will set us free from everything that binds us and holds us captive. Ultimately, for all those who know and love Jesus, uh, they will be made whole. Jesus restores our health. But of course, we also need to recognize the role of the medical profession. Luke, who wrote this gospel, uh, was a doctor. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, Paul says explicitly, Luke is a doctor. Uh, and so if we're praying for healing, we don't stop seeking medical help because very often God will use the skill of doctors and dentists and psychiatrists and surgeons and physios to heal us. But equally, we don't rely solely on the medical profession because as we've seen, some illness can have a spiritual dynamic. You can't uh, deal with that with a, a pill or a bandage. You can't put a band-aid over a spiritual problem. So if we want to be restored to, to health, we need to, uh, you know, we need to look to the medical profession and we need to look to Jesus. So Jesus responds to our hunger. He restores our health. And finally, Jesus reveals our hypocrisy. The synagogue ruler is outraged that Jesus has healed this woman on the Sabbath and he addresses the people. Notice he doesn't quite have the courage uh, to, uh, to address Jesus uh, directly, but he speaks to the whole crowd there and he says there are six days for work. Come and get healed on any of those days, not on the Sabbath. It's almost as if he's blaming this, uh, this poor woman for getting healed and she's like that. Well, I don't know. I just came to church and Jesus healed me. And it's not just a synagogue ruler, there are, there are others uh, in the crowd who are not in their head saying, yeah, what's Jesus doing healing on the Sabbath? He shouldn't be doing that. And what they were objecting to was Jesus doing work on the Sabbath. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law. God commanded them not to work on the Sabbath. It's a good law. The problem is with their interpretation of the law. And Jesus says in verse 15, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away and give it water? You see, they added man-made rules and regulations to the law. It was all contained in a book called the Mishnah. And the regulations that they'd come up with enabled them to, uh, to lead their animals to water on the Sabbath, so long as they didn't go more than about a kilometre in distance. So they were prepared to look after their animals uh, because that was in their self-interest. But healing someone on the Sabbath, well, that's work. You've got to leave that till Monday, or would have been Sunday, the first day of the, the Jewish week. And Jesus reveals their hypocrisy for what it was. He amassed it in front of everyone to the great embarrassment of the detractors. Because actually, when better to be healed? When better to be healed than the day when people are supposed to be focusing on the glory of God? And by setting this woman free, Jesus had given her a true Sabbath rest. So that's a good reason to come to church. It's exciting. It's to be a place not of religious rules and regulations, but of worship and of prayer and healing and fullness of life. 
It's exciting. But even in our day and age, uh, there can be hypocrisy in the church. Where Tissa and I used to live in Tottenham, uh, there were large uh, African and Caribbean uh, populations. Uh, in fact, our church was 90% black majority, and some of the uh, older members of the congregation could remember coming to London in the 50s and 60s. And some of them were telling me how a lot of the churches had signs on the door that said, no blacks in London in the 50s and 60s, on a church door, no blacks. I was really angry when I heard that. I was really angry that they would treat my friends like that. And I, you know what, I bet in a lot of those churches that had the liturgy down to a T. I bet they uh, did all the right things and said all the right things and I bet people knew when to stand up and when to sit down and it all looked very nice. <laughs> Total hypocrisy. But let's bring it a bit closer to home because uh, we can be hypocrites, can't we? I realised recently that there's, there's a big difference between the way that I speak to someone on the phone when they're at a call centre, you know, the ones that send you round and round in circles. <laughs> there's a big difference between the way that I might speak to someone in one of those call centres and the way that I might speak to someone face to face when I've got my clergy collar on. It's strange, isn't it? I'm so much more patient and polite with my clergy collar on. What hypocrisy. <laughs> but Jesus can set us free from our hypocrisy. And we need to pray that he does, because you know what, the, the charge that is leveled at Christians time and time again is that we're hypocrites. Now in one sense, unless we're perfect, and none of us will be on this side of the grave, there'll always be an element of hypocrisy about our lives. But we should pray to be free from hypocrisy so that we keep moving in the right direction. So that increasingly our words and our actions and the way that we live our lives line up with what we claim to believe. So it's an interesting passage. A lot of uh, different elements come into play. We've seen that Jesus responds to our hunger. He restores our health. He reveals our hypocrisy. But ultimately, this is a passage about Jesus setting us free. Jesus wants to set us free. Jesus has the authority to set us free. And Jesus has the power to set us free. So let us think now of ways that maybe we're bound, ways that maybe we're held captive, maybe areas of our life where the devil seems to have a foothold. And let's keep that in mind as we pray. And we're going to pray now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you came to free us from the bonds of sin and death. We acknowledge that through your Son, Jesus Christ, that freedom is secure. But we also recognise there are ways in which we're not walking in that freedom. There are ways in which we're still bound, physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually. There are still areas of our lives where Satan has a foothold. Father, as we bring those things to mind, we pray for freedom from all that holds us captive. We pray for healing. We pray for transformation. And we pray for the peace of God which passes all understanding, your peace. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.